Johnston here. Welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast. Really, really, really excited to get this special guest on today. Just kind of bumped into her on social media. Absolutely amazing story and such a compelling advocate for mental health. Probably could be the youngest guest we've ever had on the show. <laughs> um, I know I've had some Gen Zers on, but I won't ask you your name, your age, Francesca, but um, I know that from a Gen Z perspective, you are quite the advocate. So welcome to the show. Um, super excited. I have lots of questions for you about your programs and what you do. But uh, again, let's talk a little bit about you first. Where are you from? A little bit about your why and we'll go from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I love talking about mental health. So this is going to be super fun. I am from South Florida. I grew up in Parkland and currently I live in Fort Lauderdale with my grandmother. She has Alzheimer's and I'm her kind of like her caretaker. Mm. So we spent a lot of time together, which I really enjoy. And I started as a mental health advocate, I think younger than I realized. I was 12 years old when I just was really struggling with these mm. feelings of maybe like anxiety or depression. I didn't have the names. I didn't understand what I was going through, but I was having these breakdowns where my homework wasn't done by three o'clock. I thought mm. I was going to fail out of school and the world was going to end. And I just have all these overwhelming feelings and I'd be on the floor crying or something small would happen. And I just wouldn't be able to have the energy to get out of bed for a couple of days. And I just would feel like I was falling apart felt like I wasn't going to live very long, just had all these kind of like feelings inside and no one and you were was 12? talking about it. I was 12. Yeah. That's amazing to be that receptive to your feelings at that age. Most kids at 12 years old. Yeah. I mean, they, they really have, they can't even identify, like you said, how they're feeling. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think I was really able to identify it as much as kind of just looking back. I now see what I was feeling, but then it was just all these breakdowns. Like my homework isn't done. The world's going to end. I'm on the floor crying. I don't know what happened, but now I just can't get out of bed. I don't have any energy or motivation. Like I didn't have any idea of what was happening to me, but I was just having all of these emotions. And whenever I would try to talk about it or I would cry, people would be like, oh, grow up, get over it. Big yeah. girls don't cry. Yeah. That actually is a song, Big Girls Don't Cry. I and know. <laughs> people would play that for me when I'd start crying. And I was like, such a good song. I mean, I love the song, but it <laughs> like that was not helpful in the moment. I needed someone to have a conversation with me. And I don't think anyone in my kind of circle had had a conversation like that before either. So I don't think they knew what to say. I had no idea what I was going through or feeling. So I decided to start a blog. I called it Inspiring My Generation and start writing about what I was feeling, things that were encouraging me or motivating me, quotes I would come up with. And it kind of started at 12 years old where I would just start having these conversations. Blogging wasn't a thing back then. Right. So I was teased and bullied for it, which made me only more motivated to talk about it because someone what had to. What were they to. teasing you for? I mean, just the fact you were vulnerable? That I was blogging because blogging wasn't a thing. You know, everyone <laughs> at 12 years old, I think that was like the year that Kick was the big social media okay. app or whatever. Yeah. So everyone was playing on those apps, I think. Netflix was really starting to pick up, I yeah. think, back then. If I'm right, it might have been around that time. And everyone's like watching Gossip Girl. Like those are the things everyone's mm. doing. They're going shopping. They're going ice skating on Friday nights. And I'm sitting at home writing blogs. Mm. But for me, that made me so excited. But for everyone else, I was 
the odd little duckling. Was the writing a way for you to get your thoughts on paper? Almost like when you talk to a therapist, it's a, you're just, you're getting things off of your mind. And is that kind of what the writing was for you is almost therapeutic? Oh, yes. That's the best way for me to express what I'm feeling and to understand it. I I don't know what it is that, I mean, I love to talk, Mm -hmm. but if I'm trying to explain my emotions and I haven't like figured them out yet, the words are not going to make sense. But if I have a piece of paper and a pen, I can write it all out until I suddenly make sense and I understand it. So writing for me became not just a way to like process or get it out, but to just understand what my mind was thinking or feeling in that moment. Did you realize when you started this that there'd be such a attraction to your story and to what you were doing? Or did you just think, well, I'll write a blog, get a few friends and family that support me. Did you really think that this would go to where, because it's amazing what you've done, A, at your age and just in a short amount of time, I, I was going through your bio again this morning and it's like, wow, you've, you've accomplished so much at a young age. I, I have to think you're just really inspired about the future of mental health advocacy as well. Yeah, I mean, so when I started it, I had this dream that I was going to be like Oprah Winfrey one day and have my own talk show. So in my head, I was like, this is going to be the start of that. I still in my head think I'm going to be like I was going to say, don't kill Oprah. the dream. I think no. that's still on the table. Yeah. Oh, like my in my mind, I'm the next Oprah. It's probably realistic. I don't know. But that's like when I started at 12 years old, that was the end goal. That was the mission. That's what I was heading for. So I always knew it was going to be something. I just didn't know how or what it would be. What's the biggest challenge for your generation? That's such a loaded question. I mean, there is so much happening in the world right now. I Mm -hmm. think that one of the big challenges is this complete fear. Because, I mean, a lot of people in my generation grew up being in school where school shootings are happening, and that's like a normal yeah. thing that's happening. Right. Um, there is this, I know what I mean, growing up in high school, college, during a pandemic, and there's right. so much unknown happening. So I think some of the big fears are kind of the unknown and what's going to happen in the world, kind of like a constant crisis in our brains, in our early life. Um, the second part I'd say is, connection and communication because Mm. we're taught to communicate behind a screen and not to say Mm -hmm. that phones aren't great i love that i can facetime my friends when i'm not with them that we can connect on social media and see what everyone's up to absolutely love it but i noticed that at least for me and my friends sometimes it's a lot easier to like sit next to each other texting than it is to have an actual face-to-face conversation because when you're texting you're kind of assuming what their tone is and you're responding based on the tone you're reading or hearing in your head. And then when you're having a conversation with someone, you see their facial expression, you're like, do they not find that funny? Or wow, they found that funny and I was being serious. Right. So I know for me, it became in the beginning, coming out of the pandemic, coming out of not seeing people for a while, like that re-communication of, oh my goodness, I can see someone else's face now and have to actually right. respond and they can see my face. So now how long do I look in their eyes? Like what's eye contact? What's too much? What's not enough? So I yeah. think this whole idea of communicating face to face can be quite tricky sometimes. Yeah. And it can be for a generation that grew up not having to look into someone's eye. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've noticed a lot of the younger kids that I meet, they're a little more timid. They don't have the eye contact. If they shake your hand, it's hard for them to have that gaze where they're 
you know, ready to listen to what you have to say. They're so focused on what I'm thinking about them that they almost kind of cower sometime. Uh, and maybe that fear is just something that the fact that they've been in, you know, COVID has been isolating them for a couple of years. Um, there's certainly a, a huge amount of fear and scarcity in the world. I mean, you can't go very long on Twitter and, and um, TikTok or whatever, whatever you're on where you either the algorithms will pull you into a dark place because of one one link that you clicked on of somebody fighting next thing you know you're getting links to, sent to you all day long about people fighting you know there, there's a there's kind of a conspiracy going out there where i think for the younger generations some of these companies are literally addicting kids um and so what's your thoughts on the impact of social media when it comes to mental health for Gen Z. And then now I just found out last week what the name of the generation is behind you guys. It's generation alpha. Yeah. I just got new to that. So, and that's the next set of kids coming up that are going to have mental health challenges. So let's, before we move on to another question for you, the impact of social media and where are you optimistic that social media can become an ally in mental health for kids and not something that's a an issue? Well, I'd say that social media alone isn't um, one of the biggest issues as much as the lack of conversation happening that a lot of times kids are looking for the answers on social media, mm -hmm. right? So if someone's not talking to me about what I'm feeling or what I'm going through or about romantic things or just all these different mm -hmm. pieces and I'm looking on TikTok for the answers, yeah. I think that's one of the biggest issues is why were you, how we're utilizing social media. And a lot of times it comes down to looking for answers for questions that we're not comfortable asking other people in our lives. Sometimes I think another aspect is the algorithm for sure. If you're following a lot of people who are supermodels and they're walking runways, mm -hmm. right, that's the content you're going to see all day. Right. You're not going to see content of an average person living yeah. average life like most of us out there yeah so it becomes very self-critical i mean you obviously can become self-critical when you're looking at people whose photos are airbrushed to make them look mm. a certain way and then you're comparing yourself to where you're at and how you look when you look in the mirror with no makeup on right yeah. it's it's hard and it teaches people or it kind of conditions us not to love ourselves as we are and to feel like we need those filters that are on our story as options to hide all the little blemishes or pimples that we may have, which yeah. is all part of being human. It's funny you said the word filter because I was on a podcast yesterday and they were talking about, because everyone that follows our story knows my passion towards Gen Z, basically, you know, 13 to 26 is really where all the living undeterred projects are converging to. And we were talking about, you know, when I was younger, and I know you hear this from every old person, you know, um, you know, we walked 20 miles in the snow to school, you know, carrying each other on our backs, you know, I mean, everybody had it worse, right? We know that. So that's your, you'll be telling your kids the same thing someday that you had it worse than they did. But the reality is I do think your generation has it the toughest. I really do. You know, you have to have, and I say you as in your, your generation, you have to have this unique ability to filter through this ridiculous amount of deep fakes, uh, legitimate news, people that have false agendas, people that are trying to manipulate you into who to vote for, things like that. I didn't grow up with any of this, Fran. I mean, geez, I just had three brothers and 
you know, my, the remote control was me. My dad would say, Hey, Jeff, go turn the channel. We had three channels. I had two, seven and nine. And then cartoons were 30 minutes on Saturday mornings. We didn't, we didn't have access to all this stuff that the younger generations had. And so we didn't need a filter. I, I didn't, I didn't need a filter. We just went outside and played all day. You guys have to now not only do that, because I think nature is a really big part of mental health, especially for young, young adults getting outside more, but you guys have to have this ability to look at something and know if it's real or fake, what the agenda is. And now with all the just manipulative, um, tools that are out there, it's not easy to show you a video that's completely fake of maybe president Biden or Trump, president Trump, uh, doing something that looks very, you know, questionable and, and to trick people. And I guess, I, I don't know if that's a question I had in more in a comment, but it's like your generation, I think is the hardest of all time of any generation to be quote, to be a young adult or a teenager. I really do. I'd say that I think one of the most difficult pieces is that this is the first generation to grow up with all the information, like access at our fingertips. I mean, you open your phone, you have Apple news or whatever news sites you have on your phone alerting you to what's happening everywhere in the world. Twitter is telling you what's happening everywhere in the world. Right. We're seeing mass shootings happening every day. You open right. Twitter and someone else was murdered. It's a lot happening all the time. And because no other generation has grown up with that much exposure to information, I think it's just very new. So no one knows how to filter it. What does it mean uh -huh. to filter it? How much information should we be able to access at our fingertips? I think these are all questions that we haven't figured out yet. Because again, we're the first ones to grow up where social media is a daily part of our lives. It's right. like our entire lives. We're being taught now that our careers are all focused on how many followers we have or what our brand yeah. looks like on social media or how we post. So our whole lives are wrapped up in the media and how much we're consuming. And there's not really been enough research to see what that looks like and how we can do better in protecting ourselves. How much information is too much? How much is not enough? What's the difference between being ignorant and being mindful of my own mental health right. and how much info I can really take in? What's the difference between being super educated and listening to everyone's opinions and half of them being false? Good point. Right? So we don't know where yeah. any of those lines are yet. And we're all kind of figuring it out together. And as young adults who are just trying to figure out who we are and then trying to figure out what the rest of the world is and what's happening can feel really overwhelming. Yeah. I think it's important to see what you think about this comment, um, to be able to say no to things, to be able to tune things out, to be able to, uh, lessen the amount of toxic, you know, people you follow or, or videos that you watch. I know for me personally, I, I can't handle watching the news anymore. I just, I don't follow anything even remotely unless it really interests me from a passion standpoint. I don't need to kill time. I don't need to watch an hour of Fox news just cause I'm bored. Cause all that's going to do is just irritate me and make me upset. So I have learned again to self filter to have a filter built in to kind of self assess my mental health. Um, what are some advice you'd give to younger people about, trying to self-regulate, trying to say, I'm only going to give myself an hour on TikTok a day, or, I mean, is that even realistic as a goal? Or what do you have for, to suggest to kids that are on TikTok eight, seven hours a day that are absolutely addicted? What do you, what do you say? How, how do you get them to maybe look at this differently? 
I'd say that something people tell us, right, is to like limit it to one hour a day. Mm -hmm. I would love to be able to do that. I would love to be able to put my phone away and just only look at it for an hour, (laughs) only open Instagram for an hour. But realistically, our entire lives are centered around talking, communicating with our friends, right? Mm -hmm. Posting online, we're being taught to build ourselves as brands at a young age on social media. So realistically, telling a kid, oh, you can only spend one hour a day on this social media site may feel a little difficult. But I'd say to be mindful of how you're feeling. If you notice that suddenly you're starting to feel a little anxious or self-critical, judging yourself, questioning yourself, wondering why you're not good enough, all of these insecurities, if you notice any of them coming out or any feelings of just anxiousness or worthlessness, it's time to maybe put down the phone. Whether it's just to take a 10 minute break to breathe, to disconnect, whatever it is that you need, but recognize how you're feeling. Check in with yourself while you're online because as great as it is, I know I'm constantly checking to see who's messaging me on Instagram so Mm -hmm. I can respond. And I'm constantly checking to see monitor comments to see, oh, I may need to delete that. That's not appropriate. So I know constantly being on my phone is something that's so important, but also being mindful that up I've scrolled for too long today. I've looked at too many people's stories. Seeing this person's story really makes me feel so kind of drained because I'm like, why can't I do that? Why can't I cook meals that look like that? Why can't I dress like that? Why don't I look like that? So when I'm noticing those thoughts coming in, that's a good time for me to just put my phone away for a little bit, maybe go for a walk, go play tennis, Mm -hmm. play with my dog, maybe actually get some homework done, Mm -hmm. just do something else and then get back online when I'm ready to. You mentioned breathing. Breathing is such an important part of this whole process. I know when I get to the point where I'm, I'm having a moment where either I think about my son or I'm thinking about my, my wife, who, who both they both passed away in the last what, six years. You know, I, I, I have to sometimes catch myself in the middle of whatever I'm doing and just take that deep breath. And like when I talk to kids, I tell them that if you can breathe through your nose just one good long breath, maybe two. And I say the nose because if you breathe through your nose, you can't talk. And for a lot of kids, they just want to talk their way out of everything. They just want to talk, 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 talk. And if you just take a deep breath, you know, through your nose, you can't, you can't talk. And so I I got to thinking about that as a scuba diver. I'm a certified scuba diver. My youngest son and I dive maybe four times a year all over. We've been in the Caribbean and everywhere. And notice when you scuba dive, you can't talk. So when you're diving, you're doing so much breathing. And that's really an important part of the diving experience. And so it's not predicated on any conversation whatsoever, but you're having these unbelievable experiences under the water and it's all done through breathing. And so when you're out of the water, I don't see any reason why that same idea couldn't translate to our day-to-day activities. So I think breathing is huge. And I know I meditate. I was going to ask you if you meditate or if you uh, talk about breathing and meditation to to kids or let's say young adults. I don't like that word kids. Um, do you talk about these things with young adults with breathing and meditation? I definitely do have conversations with people. It comes up a lot in my podcast. Personally, I am not a meditator. I for a while it was really helping me and then I got to a point where 
it just wasn't I wasn't able to really do it I can't shut my mind off long enough I will just start crying like tears will come out of my eyes Mm -hmm. something I'm working on Mm -hmm. um but breath work for me has been it's kind of like the gateway to meditation people say yeah and just focusing on my breath and calming my breath and doing anything other than thinking so for me I found a lot of benefit and value in breath work I think it's different for everyone. Some people really love meditation. Some people really love mm-hmm. breath work. Some people hate both. It's yeah. really up to each person how it works. But for me, one thing that I love to talk about is scheduling in time just to breathe. I like to look at my calendar. I posted this on Unreal the other day where I'm looking at my calendar and adding in three times where I can breathe for 30 seconds in my day. Hmm. So maybe it's between switching from schoolwork to actual work or work to schoolwork. Maybe it's 30 seconds in the middle of the day when I know I'm just feeling very, I'm going to feel really overwhelmed. Maybe I'm studying for a quiz or writing a paper. Maybe I had back-to-back meetings. Just finding those small moments where I know I'm I'm going to need a moment to breathe, which really starts in being self-aware and what's going to cause me a lot of stress, which happens to me every day in my life. And Mm -hmm. finding moments to just 30 seconds of breathing to kind of ground myself in the moment, bring myself back into the present and be ready to continue on. You know, a big part of uh, my research when I started a couple of years ago, really thinking about the context and kind of what we wanted to do to take living undeterred kind of to another level. Uh, And then obviously, you know, an app came to mind. It's like, let's, let's, let's come up with an app. So in doing so, I had to think of like, what are three like, pillars of optimal mental wellness for Gen Z, uh, what would they be? And obviously the, the main one's health. I mean, that's, that's huge. You know, your sleep can't, you can't over, you know, state how important having good quality sleep is right. It's huge. Uh, diet and exercise, huge, you know, sugar intake, um, just any, so someone once said, I was at a conference, um, a speaker was talking to some high school kids and they're like, well, what's the best exercise? It's like any exercise. I mean, just like you said, walking your dog, you know, those things are all important. So we know health's important. So what would the other two areas be of optimal mental wellness? And this is where I really, you know, reached out to people like you and got a little bit of a feel of what's important because we wanted to be a little different. I want to be thinking this from a different perspective. So the second thing that came to mind was purpose. So I wanted to ask you about this because Gen Z, and this is going off of statistics, so I'm not trying to tell you this personally, but Gen Z overall is arguably the most anxious, depressed generation of all time. And I would add the most lost. In other words, they're really struggling with finding meaning and purpose. And before I let you answer, I'll explain why I agree, why I think it's hard to be a teenager. If you look at the job market, if you look at student debt, when you graduate, you look at the inflation right now, I mean, to buy a starter uh, apartment for a young adult or even a vehicle, so much more than what it was when I was, you know, younger and the wages haven't kept up. You know, normally you would, you would have had increases in your income every year to handle these things. We haven't seen that. And so kids are looking at, you know, geez, the oceans are being depleted. The quality of water is really bad. I mean, plastics are everywhere. We have, um, you know, climate change, you know, you old people ruin the planet, right? I mean, that's, that's my kids always say I invented the fire and I was in high school during civil war, all these things to make fun of dad. But the reality is, you know, we have made some poor decisions with air quality and things like that. And 
world hunger is a big issue. So yeah, I understand why kids today are looking at their future and just ask themselves, why, why am I going to college? Why, why am I doing any of this when really there isn't anything to look forward to? So I want you to counter argue for me why you think that is an inaccurate statement and that you're optimistic about meaning and purpose. I'd say that Gen Z is the first generation to grow up with the language to say that they're anxious or depressed versus other generations like haven't had the language. I've never so, heard that. That's good. Yeah. So I always like to say that a lot of times emotions were a lot more kind of like anger and happiness for other generations. Mm-hmm. And ours has, we have the whole emotion wheel and we're very well adapt to be able to say what emotion we're feeling. It's a lot more acceptable to be vulnerable and to admit that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I want to do. I feel overwhelmed. Older generations, it wasn't as acceptable to say that I'm not okay and that I'm struggling and that I'm stressed. And when I talk to a lot of individuals from older generations and I ask them, like, how did you figure out what you want to do? A lot of times, like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm still going through it and figuring it out. I think Gen Z, we have this idea and I don't, I'm speaking on behalf of an entire generation, which I probably should, like, I'm aware of, this is based on my own experience and based it's on- It's my show. You can do whatever you want, Fran, so. so but for anyone listening, I know this is all coming from my perspective and my experience, and I probably, so that's where my um, opinion's coming from. But I think that Gen Z, you know, we're growing up with so much happening in the world right now, and right. it's terrifying and trying to figure out who we are what we want to do thinking that we have to have all the answers because we're also growing up in a world where we can search for any answer right we're taught that everything has an answer just put it in google we can't google what's my purpose in life why am i here what am i supposed to do so we're kind of fed this message that all the answers are out there and then suddenly we have all these questions that don't have answers and that's a little overwhelming So I'd say that Gen Z as a whole, I think has a lot more language to explain how they're feeling and a lot more unknowns growing up in so much uncertainty happening in the world recently, as well as this added fear of, first of all, are my jobs even still going to exist with AI? We're seeing that people can use chat GPT to write scripts. You don't even need writers anymore and that's all new that's all like in the last 60 days basically this whole thing blew up so how do i choose a career path when right technology is taking all the jobs away that's Mm -hmm. also really overwhelming i might have thought i wanted to be a writer my whole life and now suddenly Mm technology is making it seem like there's not a job for me anymore it's just a job Mm -hmm. for technology so i think that also plays a really big role in trying to figure out who we are and what we want to do and our purpose and our passion and our goals, because sometimes the things we love to do and we want to do aren't even job opportunities for us anymore because so much is constantly changing. And also social media, having jobs on social media, going viral on TikTok and your life being set up forever. It's also really overwhelming because you, I mean, you're seeing 15 year olds go viral and become millionaires overnight yeah. and yeah. life seems so perfect. So also that I think desire to want to be that person and then fear of what does that mean how do i post myself what if i post something and people make fun of me and all the critical comments so i think for gen z there's a lot of things that are incomparable to older generations man that's i love that answer that you said about 
then there's like more labels and more diagnosis, your generation, you know, I just grew up with a few terms. We didn't even know what depression was. We didn't even talk about depression, you know, um, that just wasn't something that came up. Um, so you had in your past in 2019, you had a pretty traumatic event happen, uh, with your uncle. Um, it's on your, it's on your bio. I read that. And, um, again, my condolences for that. Um, I know in writing my book that, uh, and I know this is not going to apply directly to you, but it kind of does that sibling bereavement. So this would be like a brother and sister can be the hardest thing for a young adult to ever come back from losing an uncle. Isn't much different, especially if you're really close and, um, that, that can have the same impact. So in 2019, I won't ask how old you were, but I know you were, you were young. What did that do to you in regards to, and I read, I read again, the timing of it, because when he took his life in 2019, there was some significance with the timing of it. Um, I think it said on your bio. So do you mind kind of talking a little bit about that? So people can get an idea of where your passion comes from. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said in the beginning, I was really starting to struggle at 12 years old. So by the time I was, I was in college at the time and I was really struggling because still haven't had that conversation that I needed at the time. My grandparents and my aunt and uncle were like the whole world to me because when my parents were separating, they didn't have the emotional capacity to really show the support that I needed at the time. They're both amazing. Love them so much. Hi, mom and dad, if you're listening, probably not. But if you are, like, love you. Um, they're, my parents are amazing and they do show up for me. But at that point in time, they didn't have the emotional right. capacity to be there in the way that I needed. But I was very lucky that my Nona and Papa and my aunt and uncle really stepped up at the time and provided that emotional support. So my grandparents, I mean, when I went to college, my grandfather got a uh, iPhone so we could FaceTime me and we FaceTime mm. three times a day every morning for a cup of coffee every day after <laughs> class while I walked That's to my great. dorm so I could tell him about it and every night for dinner my grandmother would be on FaceTime with me all the moments in between they'd stay up all night listening to me study my aunt and uncle would pick me up for family movie nights game nights so all this to say is these people are like my entire world getting ready to graduate undergrad I'm graduating in two and a half years, like determined the world is suddenly going to be my mm. oyster and everything's going to be great because I'm going to graduate and get a big job and yeah. all the messaging that they tell you when you're in college, right? Right. <laughs> so um, it's not as easy as it sounds. So no. <laughs> uh, my grandparents got into a car accident three weeks before I'm about to walk the stage and graduate. Mm. Lost my grandfather in that car accident and almost lost my grandmother. Um, my I grandmother's didn't, the I one didn't I know that. I didn't now. see that on your profile. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. So I had no idea how to cope with that. I mean, I didn't right. know how to grieve. I didn't know self-care. I didn't know that it was mm -hmm. okay to cry because I was taught right. big girls don't cry. That's what they kept telling me. Yep. So I didn't know how to take care of myself at all. So by the time Christmas rolled around or Christmas mm -hmm. Eve, a day where the three of us would like lay in bed and drink cappuccinos and eat dark yep. chocolate and watch the grants, like that was never going to happen again. No idea how to cope with that ended up attempting suicide on Christmas Eve. My uncle was the one who really supported me through it and really helped me, talked to me about mental health, promised to help me get help. We were going to get through this together. 27 days later, he ends his life. And my heart mm. shattered mm. because he knew what I was going through. Yeah. Like he really knew when he had that conversation, he wasn't just 
having a conversation, he was relating to it. He understood and he was there. And I felt so guilty that I didn't see it yeah. the way he saw it in me. Wow. That's, that's, um, that's powerful. Uh, and in doing this for six years, that's kind of when I got thrust into mental health advocacy. Unfortunately, I hear stories like yours too often. Um, 825 Americans every day die from the deaths of despair. That's uh, suicide, alcohol, and overdose. 825, that's just too high, way too high. By It's too high by 825. <laughs> it would be wonderful, and I think that's kind of the optimal goal is to get zero suicide, get zero overdose, you know, zero deaths from alcohol. Uh, I'm not sure if that's attainable, but... What is attainable is one life, two lives, three lives. That is certainly attainable. We know for a fact, look what your uncle did to impact you, you know, saved your life. And, and I've had people in my life that have saved my life that I probably haven't given them enough credit, you know? Uh, so that's the purpose part of the struggle I had is meaning and purpose. So before I leave purpose and kind of go to the next area of what I wanted to talk to you about how do you recommend kids? You know, I always say that purpose isn't a destination. You just don't one day reach the summit of meaning and purpose. You're always searching. Even me that I have found a good reason to quit my investment career and do this full time. I kind of found my purpose, but it took me, I'm 57 years old. So it took me age 52 to find my purpose. So think how old you are and then think of 52. Think of all that block of time in between marriage, kids, successful investment career, traveling the world. I had no purpose, Fran. I was an alcoholic since my junior in high school up until age 52. I also had a compulsive gambling problem for probably 15 years where I was a very bad gambler. And now that there was a study that came out today that 6% of all college kids have a gambling problem today because of um, gambling on their cell phones. So my question to you, it takes a while for me to ask questions. I think you're finding that out. Um, I like to make statements and comments and then I ask a question. How, how do we get kids to find meaning and purpose at a very young age? I mean, how, how do you do it? You found it. I would say for what happened for me was I, first of all, I loved Oprah and I wanted to be just like her. Like I found <laughs> someone that I just Have admired. you met her yet? Have you had a chance to meet no, her No, Oprah called me. No, I, I wish. That's like the Oprah's life Oprah's a good friend. So I'll, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I wish she was a good friend. I would name drop for you. So. But she, um, so I found someone that I really admired and wanted to be like, and that was one really important piece. The second piece was, I read this book called The Greatness Zone by Jay Forty. I mm. don't remember every piece of it, but I remember the premise of it was the greatness zones in the middle and it overlaps with what you like to do, what you want to do and what you're good at. And when you mix mm. all three of those, you're in your greatness zone. So mm. I knew from a young age that I really liked to write. I was pretty good at writing. Everyone that would read my stuff loved it. People mm. always felt impacted by it. And I really wanted to make a difference. So mm -hmm. I was good at doing that through writing. That's what I wanted to do. And then I wanted to speak about it. 
so I figured out my greatness and I think I was 12 when I actually read that book and that's what inspired me to start the blog so J40 you're amazing mm. um but it's all about finding I think the people that you admire and why you admire them what makes what attracts them to you you know for Oprah for me it was how powerful her voice was right and you're mm -hmm. watching oprah talk like you're watching oprah talk you're not talking over oprah you might talk right. over anyone else in the world but you yeah. do not talk over oprah you just right. feel it inside you right and i wanted to be that kind of person i wanted to have that kind of impact i realized that i really liked writing and that i could do that through writing i was not good at public speaking yet i was terrified of it but i knew that's where i wanted to go mm -hmm. with it so mm -hmm. I started practicing and it wasn't until college that I actually was able to talk in front of anybody. It took a very long time, like 10 mm -hmm. years, but <laughs> finding those pieces of what makes you happy, what you enjoy doing, what you like to do, what you want to do, what you're good at and finding those qualities in other people that you admire and putting it together, I think helps you find a passion and a purpose, but also a direction with it. Because if you see those traits in other people that you want or that you have, you kind of see what they're doing and you can kind of mm -hmm. pull from there because it's hard to just figure it out. I mean, I don't know what 12 year olds like, I want a talk show. I want to <laughs> like change the world. No, it was because of that power and connection I felt to Oprah. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I think there's a, a difficult um, task for young adults to figure out what meaning and purpose means to them in their life. And how do you achieve it? I, like I said earlier, purpose is not a destination. Um, happiness isn't a destination. I think peace is, I think peace is a destination. I think if you get really peaceful in your life, I think that's like achieving a summit of Mount Everest. Let's say happiness is too fleeting. It's too short term. I can go buy a car and be happy, but it's not going to provide peace in my life. Uh, I could go work out in the gym and that, you know, well, it sucks while you're working out, but it's, it's great when you're done. But again, that's not giving me any peace in my life. And I think for, for young adults, they're not really chasing peace. They want happiness. And that's why you see TikTok kids flashing wads of cash and they driving Lamborghinis. And these are YouTubers that are like 20 years old, making millions of dollars. That's not peace. That's probably not even happiness. It's probably an illusion. And so, again, I think to let kids know, you know what, you are right where you need to be. You are right where you need to be in your life to get everything that you ever desire. And if that desire means to sleep better, have healthy relationships, to make more money, to be a better servant, you know, to be to be in service, um, it'll come. It will. And you just have to. That's that's where like living undeterred that whole those two words for me just really went together well when I was thinking about a brand about, I didn't want to be a motivational speaker. I didn't want to be a coach, a life coach, but I did want to influence people and make, make them understand that, you know, even though you can go through horrific things in your life, it's okay to let it define you, but just not negatively, you know? And I think for kids, they're just, or young adults, this thing about purpose is, is a tough thing to do. And for you at such a young age to find it, that should give other young adults, hey, if Fran can do it, why can't I, right? 
I'd say that also like that comparison is really difficult, right? Like I spent so much time saying, well, if they can make a living doing this, I can yeah. too. And I'm like, mm, my bank account's negative today. Why am I not good enough? Right? I've been there. I've been there. I built a business up since I was 23. So I've had plenty of negative days in the bank account. Yeah. So I think that it's all about accepting like individuality and that your journey is different and that it's okay. And it's okay to not know. It's okay to go after something and fail and try again or to leave that behind and try something else. All of it's yeah. okay. There's this idea that you have to just never give up and keep going and doing the same thing over and over again and just keep trying and one day it's going to work but if you keep trying and it's not working and you just don't find that passion anymore it's okay to shift gears it's okay to be like you know what this isn't right for me or let me come back to this later or yeah. maybe i need to reinvent the wheel somehow it doesn't have to be the first idea you have in your head it doesn't have to be every single thing and the only thing you do Right. Because my idea in my head was I want a talk show like Oprah. And I was like, no one's giving me a talk show. Like, I think, I think no you're going to meet. I think you're going to meet Oprah pretty soon. Oh, <laughs> as I, much as you talk about it. You, you, I, I, I bet you have it on your your two or three person bucket list. Like who I, I have to meet. Top. It's Oprah, Oprah, Oprah. <laughs> Oprah's the top person. And I'm a massive Taylor Swift fan. And to say like Oprah is number one, like that's a lot. I like, have to. That's funny. There. But I like no one was handing me a talk show. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like I should be getting yeah. a talk show. And realistically, I had to figure out stepping stones. I mean, I still don't have a talk show. I don't know if I'll ever get one, but I'm so determined to keep trying and finding different avenues to get there. So I started a podcast when I was 15. I started my first podcast. It was called Inspiring My Generation. Had mm -hmm. no idea what I was doing. Was doing well with it for a while, and then suddenly no one was listening. I was feeling burnt out. I didn't know mm -hmm. how to keep coming up with topics. I was talking by mm -hmm. myself, and eventually got to that point where I was like, "I know I still want to be Oprah, and I want this talk show, <laughs> but this isn't working for me right now." And I put that away after yeah. a year, and then I started another podcast. It was like 15 at the time. I started three years ago. Like seven years later, maybe six years later, I decided to start another podcast. And this one's doing a lot better. And it took a lot of, first, I'm going to do Instagram lives. Okay, that's great. But it's not on streaming platforms. Okay, so now I'm going to record them and upload them that day. Okay, now I'm feeling really overwhelmed and this just isn't working. Now I'm pressured mm -hmm. to have a guest every single week. Otherwise, it won't work. Then I decided I'm going to start recording them in advance. Then I'm recording them months in advance. I'm finding guests online. I'm reaching out to PR teams. I'm trying different avenues yep. and reinventing the wheel and how I'm doing it like every other day, like truly. But if I just stuck with that, like 12 year old's vision of someone's going to offer me a talk show one day, I would not have gotten anywhere. And if I didn't try the first podcast, realize I wasn't getting there yet, wasn't ready for it yet, put it aside and come back to it when the time is right. Like it never would have happened. So I think it's really about accepting where you are what tools and resources you have available to you and that your journey is different like you may be able to start a podcast and have a talk show within a week like i don't know yeah, right that's not my experience and it's different for everyone so to not compare and just be comfortable in your journey i'd say it's the most mm -hmm. important piece instead of feeling like you have to compare it is there some benefit to comparison because i know i just go back to when i was 23 and I graduated college, had a finance degree, 
basically just got started selling insurance. That's how I started into the investment world. But I would look at other financial advisors in my hometown and I would say, man, I want to, I want to beat that guy or gal. I want to be better than that person. I want to have my face on a billboard. I want to have a TV show, which we did do. We did TV show for about five years in town here. I've been doing radio for 15 years. So I have a live radio show. Yeah. And then I just recently started the living undeterred mental health radio hour on Thursday night. So where I'm going with this is that, you know, I used that comparison as a competitive inspiration for me. Uh, not everyone can do that. I I'm an ex athlete played two sports in college, played golf and basketball, uh, hyper competitive to, to a fault sometimes, because when I lost, it was devastating. Uh, I didn't like when other people were doing better than me, but I've learned over the years, Fran, to kind of mature with not fighting it. I, I know who I am. I'm never not going to be competitive that I know that for certain. I'm not going to sit around going, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, there's something about that competitiveness that I like to compare myself with other people. But now I got it where it's a positive thing. When I was younger, it kept me up at night. It was negative. I drank alcohol probably to hide from a lot of my insecurities. So how do you, how do you do that to kind of use some comparison, which can be good, but not get overwhelmed with imposter syndrome or feel like I'm never going to be as good as Fran. You know, Fran has Fran and Oprah are doing a talk show. I'm never going to be that good. So I get all depressed. I mean, how do you, what's the fine line there? How do you, how do you motivate kids to go ahead and stay competitive, but don't let it become overwhelming where it causes you to be depressed or anxious? That's such a great question. Cause this is something I've been working <laughs> on a lot lately. Cause I'm very competitive. I have yeah. to win. And right. anyone who's ever played a game with me knows that the game doesn't stop till I win. And the easiest and I don't, way. I don't want you to ever take that away from you though. That's the mm -hmm. thing. I, I love that competitiveness because that's yeah. why you are where you're at right now in your life. Yeah, I agree. And I think that I've learned to reframe it. So the only person I'm actually actively competing against is me yesterday. Where I was yesterday is the only person I'm competing against or maybe the person I was a year ago or three years ago. I'm competing against older versions of myself to grow and mm -hmm. to learn. But I am comparing myself in a way to Oprah to see what qualities and traits she has. What do I have? How can I learn from her? So you compete with yourself, but you compare. To learn and grow with others. other people. I like that. Yeah. That's good. Compete with yourself. Compare yourself to others to learn and grow, not to feel yeah. insecure. Yeah. Do you know much about stoicism? I do not. Okay. Well, you, you do indirectly because you talked about reframing. That's a big emphasis of stoic philosophy this is the ancient greeks thousands of years ago marcus aurelius epictetus um uh, seneca these are all famous stoics i learned stoicism in college and one of the core it, it's it's probably arguably the most like optimistic philosophy ever almost to a fault almost like they're too uh robotic Okay. But if you did go back and you looked at stoicism, S T O I C I S M, and you would look at some of the key tenets of stoicism, reframing that you just said is probably the big thing I took from stoicism. I think reframing to me has literally saved my life. 
being able to look at something like death as an opportunity to become a better man, not a bitter man. So I could sit around and say, oh, fentanyl took my son and now I'm just angry and bitter and, and, and frustrated and death is a death punishes me. And I'm, I must've done something, something wrong, or maybe I was a bad husband. That's why my wife's no longer here. And I learned to just say, okay, death came into my life twice in the last five years, took two people that I care about. What's, what's, what's my choice, right? What, what am I going down the bitter road of being a victim? And, and drink and just my life falls apart. And then maybe I take my life at, at 55 or do I stay on the better road, which is, which is hard work. The bitter road is easy. That's the road of least resistance to just drink every day. That's easy, right? To just eat pizza every day. That's easy. The road of least resistance is where most humans are attracted to. That's just, that's just DNA in, in humans, but the better road is where we want to be on. That's hard work. That's discipline, routine, um, you know, all the habits that go, you know, they say so many days it takes to build a habit. Um, so I just, again, I think that reframing, when you said that, I, I wanted to jump on that because I think you'd be, you'd be really one interest. You'd be, I think stoicism would be interesting for you to, to just research it, maybe Google it. Um, but a lot of real famous athletes and people that are motivational speakers will constantly quote the great Stoics of of philosophy. Okay. So we got a few minutes. I want to ask you another question. Um, so you developed a workbook, um, called self care. And I think you just launched your fourth, right? Yes. Okay. I love the name self care because self care is everything. Um, I took shortcuts in my self care the Christmas after my wife died, my wife died on June um, 29th, 2021 from alcoholism. And I, um, I didn't take self-care very well. Uh, I didn't, I didn't start drinking or anything, but I, I had a really tough time with it. Uh, it hit me differently than losing my son. Um, I almost felt like I let her down a little more and I let Seth down. So I had a tremendous amount of guilt, but I had a, I had a, I had a hiccup that Christmas where, um, and people that follow me, know this and we have trigger warnings on the show, but I, I had a, I had a gun to my head two years ago, which is hard for people to understand. Cause they say, well, Jeff, you wrote a book, you, you did a podcast, you, you know, you did all these things. How could you, how could you, you know, you're Mr. Living undeterred, right? So, but what happened, Fran, is that I took shortcuts in my self-care. I stopped the meditation. I stopped working out kind of got lured back into toxic things. And then when I started going through memories of my son and my wife, I just, I was, I I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Obviously I didn't do anything drastic, but I learned a lot from being in that position. I learned one, I don't ever want to go back there ever. And, And you've been there. You've talked about it candidly, you know, your attempts and stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know for every attempt somebody has how many times they thought about it, you know, <laughs> a lot more than they attempted, you know, but here we are, both of us are here. I wouldn't say I attempted, but I was close, you know, I, but we're both here. We're both survivors and 
what, what, what do you say to somebody that is in the depths of despair right now, Fran, like you and I have been before and, and many others watching and listening, what do you say to them to just that one thing to get them to hold on to hope, to give them another day, another chance? That's such a great question. I'd say I actually get to do this all the time with my encouragement cards. I have to pick my favorite message. I'd say that whatever you're feeling right now is so valid. Like whatever you're feeling, like you have every single right to feel that way. You Mm -hmm. genuinely do, but you don't have to feel this way. Mm -hmm. It will one day get better. It won't be easy. It won't be immediately. It may take a very long time but it will get better. And you're going to look back on this moment and be so proud that you just kept going. Hold on to hope. Take it one step at a time. Remember that you are not alone. Like you are not alone in this. You do not have to go through this alone. There are so many people who maybe you can't find someone in your immediate circle right now to reach out to. You don't know who you would, but there's so many people out there who've been where you are and who value you may not know you may not know you exist but love and value and cherish you so much you are not alone in this it's going to get easier one day won't be a while but it will get easier and you will get through this don't be afraid to reach out don't be afraid to reach out whether it's through social media and reaching out to different organizations for resources and support whether it's calling a crisis hotline or warm line or text line, whether it's reaching out to a friend or a loved one, to a hospital, to whatever resources are at your disposal, don't be afraid to reach out. You deserve to feel supported. You deserve to feel loved. You are loved. You are supported. And you're going to get through this. That isolation is so key because I think I think uh, most people that are in the, the grips of despair and they're really, really down I think they think that they're the only ones that feel that way. And like you said, you know, we're, we're not in a canoe paddling upstream against the current of life. We are in a large 8 billion seating boat, you know, paddling together. You know, we're still, we're still fighting upstream many times for the most part, but I think there's something to say sometimes it's just taking the canoe out of the water, sitting down in your, in your boat and just letting it go down the stream, right? Instead of trying to fight things all the time, you know, just maybe try to find that zone, right? Or, or the flow they call it now, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think for me, one thing that really helped was just knowing that other people had been there and gotten through it, or maybe they're Mm -hmm. still getting through it, but they're still here. They're still alive. They're still trying. They're still putting one foot in front of the other, or they're just taking it day by day or moment by moment, breath by breath. They're just doing Mm -hmm. something. And other people are in this and they're still going. Maybe, just maybe, I can too. Maybe I will get through it. Mm -hmm. Just that hope of maybe, I think for me, was really helpful. As well as also just having a person in my life who just hugged me and said, you're not alone. Like that also, I'd say is yeah. one of the most valuable things was that hug. How important is giving back and being in service and doing things for other people without an expectation that almost sometimes can be anonymous? I mean, you're on the street, you see a homeless person, maybe you go in and buy them food and give it to them. And then just, you don't have to take a photo and put it on Instagram 
You don't have to go tell all your friends you did it. Just do something like that anonymously. I do things like that and it makes me feel so good. And I think there's something about helping others that helps you. I agree. I think that it gives you a lot of kind of like purpose. Right. I feel like I'm helping someone else. Mm-hmm. Someone else's life is a little bit better because of me. I think that often really, really does help. I think it also just feels nice to do something good. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels nice when you feel like everything around you is so dark to be able to offer light to someone else. So I'd say mm-hmm. that it's not always easy to find what, how you want to volunteer or how you want to give back or in what way it means something to you. But I always recommend trying it during the pandemic. One thing I love to do that I didn't even talk about, I don't think before at all, was like I volunteered at a food pantry because I was like, I'm never going to know what it's like to not have food. Mm-hmm. Like I'm most likely, based on the family I was born into and the situations that I've been given and where I met in life, I will probably never know what it's like to not have food. But there are so many people out there who can't like mm-hmm. afford a meal right now who can't get to a grocery store who just don't have any money to get food like and that broke my heart so I went and volunteered at a food pantry because it was something I couldn't relate to but I knew I wanted to be part of some kind of solution so I think finding small things that make you feel Mm. needed and important maybe I can't relate to someone else's situation but maybe I can be part of a solution so that they don't have to experience it anymore either and for me I think that helped find a lot of meaning and purpose when I've been so lucky and privileged to have never had to experience so many things. Yeah, that's so true because one of the things that we decided to do with our app coming up is to have three bite-sized chewable action items that we can suggest for our users and one in each of the three categories, which our categories are health, wealth, and purpose. And so if we, if, if a young adult can get up in the morning, go to the app, see three things that they can do that we'll suggest based on AI, based on how they answered their, their very short questionnaire. Um, over time, we can customize uh, a plan form. Doesn't cost anything with the therapist or doesn't cost meds. And, you know, I think, I think we should exhaust all the free, all the low barrier to entry ways to deal with mental health before we start throwing Adderall and Xanax and all these pills and therapists costs and all that. We should exhaust the free stuff first, right? And then if that's not enough, then start going the current things that we're doing. But as I said, all around last summer, when I went around the country, I had someone one time ask me a TV station out of Indiana said, Jeff, you know, what, what's your, what's your goal? What's your end game? Do you want to eradicate addiction? Do you want to, you know, I said, no, no, no. (laughs) Here's my goal. My goal is based on this, this statement. If what we were doing was working, I wouldn't be doing any of this. And I would say the same thing for you. If what we were doing as a society was working, you wouldn't be a mental health advocate, right? Yeah. And I think that, there definitely is so much room for improvement and change right. and finding what works for you. There are some mental health conditions that are diagnosed and treated right away with mm-hmm. medication without any 
tools first, any support, mm -hmm. and oftentimes the medication may not have been needed in the first place. They were introduced to the yeah. wrong person at the wrong time. Right. However, I think that also making things more accessible, making it so that when people who do need medication, they can afford it earlier and access it earlier. Or with therapists, I mean, I'm a huge, huge advocate for therapy, whether you mm -hmm. need it for a mental health condition or just preventative or finding a different direction. I'm in school to be a therapist because I love it so much. Mm. But it's also you. very, thank you. It's also very difficult to afford therapy a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Insurance makes it impossible for therapists to take insurance. Like there's so yeah. many things. So looking at what resources are available, making more resources available and helping to make current resources more accessible and putting more information out there so people know maybe medication is like the first step for this. If someone's right. living with bipolar disorder, medication's a very important piece. Mm -hmm. But maybe someone doesn't need to start with medication. Maybe they need to start with some coping skills, some self-management skills, some self-care, all these different pieces. Maybe they just need some time with a therapist. Maybe they don't need therapy, but they need a sense of belonging or community. There are so many options and routes out there. So putting more information out there on what's available to you, I think is definitely something that I admire that all of us are doing. Yeah. I like that comment because, you know, you gotta be, we, I say we, you and I as advocates had to be a little careful. I'm not a doctor. Uh, my dad was a doctor. So I grew up in a doctor family. Um, I had many clients when I was an investment advisor that were doctors, but I'm not a doctor. Um, I have my opinion on something like Adderall just because my Seth, my son, Seth was given Adderall at 16 and that really started his downfall. Uh, he, he, Maybe Adderall was a, a good option for Seth, but it was the first option that was given. We went to a therapist. That's the very first thing they did after a 30-minute consultation. I was to give my son watered-down meth. That's what Adderall is. Just Google it. It's basically watered-down methamphetamines. It's speed. Um, and so, you know, I looked at that, and I did like most people is I made an assumption based on a, li a lived experience, right? Most of our opinions are based on what happened to us, right? Um, become an advocate. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have cared at all about fentanyl until my son died of it. And all of a sudden now I'm interested in fentanyl. And that's kind of how it works. So, you know, going back to providing an opportunity for, you know, young adults to see life from a different perspective I guess I'll ask you this as we end the show, because that was a fast hour. I mean, normally, normally it doesn't go this fast. That means we had a good conversation. I know a lot of people are going to benefit from hearing, you know, I mean, you're younger, I'm older. We both have a, a similar passion with regards to helping people. Uh, I come from a different lens set. You come from a different lens set. But the reality is if we can get these generations to work together, then I think Generation Z and Generation Alpha will have more arrows in the quiver to deal with the inevitable pain and suffering that comes with being human being, right? Yeah. I we're not robots. We're not cyborgs. We're humans. Yeah. And life is a beautiful mess. It is. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful chaos. <laughs> yeah. So what's next for you? What do you have? I mean, I know you're going to have a, a talk show with Oprah, so you can't go down that road. Um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to see if I hadn't known anybody that knows Oprah and set that up for you, but <laughs> What's next for you for your advocacy? Oh, I'm figuring that out, but I 
currently growing inspiring my generation more and more and putting out more workbooks i just published my fourth one in development for ideas for my fifth one i've got some ideas so working on figuring that out um starting to host more workshops trying to make them as accessible as possible doing free national virtual workshops with the peer support coalition to offer these tools and resources like how to be an advocate and mentor right how to have a mental health conversation with someone else how to support them or how to reach out for help trying to make more conversations and pieces available as well as i'd love to get more involved in advocacy on a kind of like federal level and state level and get involved mm -hmm. in legislation so i'm currently exploring what that means and how to do that and i hope to continue to put more encouragement cards out there, put more workbooks out there, turn that podcast into a talk show one day, mm -hmm. and hopefully get involved in changing some legislation so that more people can access the support that they need. I think that's admirable. I, and I don't have any doubt that you will not achieve your goals. I think, I think you will. But I also, in the short amount of time I've known you, I know you'll always be evolving. You know, you'll set a goal, achieve it, move on. And that's one of the beauty about advocacy and uh, what, what we're doing is that there really isn't, I don't have, I don't have an end game, right? I, I don't have like a, a, a one day wake up saying, okay, I, I did it. I wanted to be a mental health advocate and here I am. It doesn't work that way. You know, lots of ups and downs, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I'm always trying to think of what's the most impactful thing I can do today to change a life. And okay. So how do people reach you? And if someone wants to get you as a guest on their show, if they want to hire you as a speaker, if they want to collaborate with you, what's the easiest way to reach you, Fran? Yeah, you can send me an email, Francesca, F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-A, at inspiringmygeneration.org. And we'll have all your contact information, all the platforms that you're on uh, as a link when, when this posts. Um, but I... I really appreciate you coming to the living undeterred podcast today. This has been enlightening. I don't have, I, I need to have more younger guests on. I'd be honest with you. Cause I need to, I need to be meeting Gen Z where they're at. Right. I mean, I'm the last year of the baby boomer. So I'm, I'm, I'm way out there. <laughs> and you know, for me to design programs to help young adults, I need to be working with the young adults. Right. I mean, that, that sounds like common sense. I think our two generations can do a lot of good together. I think, I think that tidal wave of a third of the world's population that's coming, you know, and then the generation behind them, you know, the really young kids, that's our future. That's why I work hard to protect, you know, protect what we have. So you guys and gals can inherit what I inherited from my grandpa. And my grandparents, I mean, every generation wants to pass that on. But if, if you guys are an absolute train wreck and you're depressed and anxious and not happy, then it doesn't matter what I leave you. Right. So, you know, I think there's so many moving parts with this mental health that my generation owes it to your generation to have the systems and the processes in place for those young adults that are interested in bettering their mental wellness. We need to have it right. You guys are the first generation of all time to have mental wellness as your number one New Year's resolution. Think about that. That's incredible. And I think it's awesome. It is. And I think that there's a seat at the table for everyone. 
And if we all sit together, listen to each other, work together, grow, collaborate, learn, we will make an impact and hopefully see a brighter tomorrow. I bet your parents are awful proud of you. <laughs> Depends on the day. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have a younger brother. He's my favorite person in the world. He's also <laughs> like the most adorably annoying person that I know. Um, but I love brothers him will so do much. that to you. <laughs> yeah, I texted him like ten times saying, "I'm like play tennis with me," and he didn't answer. So right now, <laughs> is he my favorite person? Eh. But <laughs> overall, he is. Do you, have a, do you have a pet? I do. I have a dog. Her name's Tiffany. She is my best friend in the entire world. And aren't I love they her. though? Yeah, I have I have two dogs, Camus, who's my older lab, and then Ryder, who's our um, my Vishla. I, I call him a squirrel on crack. And I mean that as a joke because when a storm comes, he just eats. He'll eat anything in his way, you know. And I feel bad for him because he's just like a – if there was a mental health challenge for dogs, it would be my dog. Um, you know, he just doesn't understand anything about the loud noises and stuff. But why I asked you about pets is pets are so important uh, to mental health. My lab Camus, and I'm not lying, but if I have a moment and I'm in my studio and I start crying, which I do frequently, really intense moments, I can hear him coming down the stairs and he'll pry open my door and he'll come over and put his lap right on my, right on, or put his head right on my lap. And I'll actually have to push him away because, you know, I want to cry. I want, I want to do my thing. And my dog's like trying to love me. And I'm like, no, no, Camus, give me some space. But I will say that there's something about about animals that are so comforting in moments of despair. And it seems like Tiffany provides you that outlet for you. Oh, absolutely. She's right here next to me. She's <laughs> always with me. If I'm crying, she comes and licks my tears away and then curls up next to me and just yep. lets me hold her and cry. Um, I don't know how I would do life without her. I got her. I adopted her when I was going to college and living or when I was going to live alone for the first time in college, okay. like, I was not ready to like be completely alone. I was like, I need a dog. So I was very, very lucky that my dog, my dad brought me Tiffany. And what kind of dog is it? A sheep. She a sheep who? Yes. And she's oh, are, so cute. Are they big, small or? No, she's like 11 pounds. She's tiny. Oh. She's adorable. My those whole world. Cute. Yeah. And she's the best. She gets me through those tough moments. Well, I know you're going to get a lot of people through tough moments. Um, you already have today. This has been great to talk to you. I'm really excited about collaboration with you at some level. Uh, because like I said, if our two generations can put our heads together and we can lend wisdom and the mistakes that we made, if we can lend that to your generation so you can learn from it. So when you're my age and you're talking to someone your age, you can lend them wisdom and guidance the same way that, that my mom and dad did for me. But I want to congratulate you again for what you're doing. Um, I think you're an inspiration. We need more mental health warriors out there at all ages. Um, so again, thank you very much, uh, Francesca. Really an honor to meet you. And I appreciate you being on the Living Unattered podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for creating this space and starting these conversations and being so vulnerable and brave. You are changing the world. Well, we have a lot of work ahead of us, but one day at a time, right? One day at a time. All right. Thank you, Fran. Take care. Mm -hmm.